11, the 13th verse. These all died in faith, and not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And these all, beloved, and these all died in faith. What a wonderful expression that is. Really, uh, to have our attention called to it exclusively. To die and faith. And these all refer to the saints uh, that have been mentioned in the context. especially in the immediate context. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Sarah. For Enoch never died, but was translated, as you know, And when the text here in our version says that they died in faith, the translation is not quite correct. According to the Greek, the text does not mean they died in faith, but they died according to faith, according to the standard of faith. Faith, as has been explained before in connection with this chapter, is the assurance of things hoped for and is the conviction of things that are not seen. It is from that point of view that the text here says they all die according to the standard of faith. They died according to the standard of faith 
as a conviction of things not seen, and as the firm assurance of things hoped for. And uh, when it says that they died according to that standard, according to the standard of that faith, it means, beloved, in the first place, that their dying was an act. They died. Not simply they had to die. Not simply they passed through death, which is inevitable for any man, but they died. Their dying was for them an act of faith. Just as their living had been an act of faith. Just as in all their living they principally had faced their hope and all their expectation on the promise, the promise of the gospel, the promise of God. Just as, therefore, looking upon that promise, they had always in their life confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So, by that same faith, they performed the act of dying. And performing the act of dying in that faith, they feared no death. They conquered death. And so overcame death by that faith that they made it a means to put off the old man of this tabernacle and to enter into the house of many mansions not made with hands eternal in the heavens. That is the meaning of this text, beloved. They all died. First, everybody died. But it makes the world a difference whether a man dies according to the standard of unbelief, according to the standard of sin, or whether he dies according to the standard of faith. And therefore, 
that, that is what I would preach to you tonight, according to the words of my text. Let us make this personal, shall we? This is historical. This refers to our fathers, not to us, but to our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But nevertheless, the intent of the words of my text is for us. That we may say this, beloved, that we may put this on our lips, that we may have this in our hearts, that we may use these words with application to ourselves. Let us put it this way. We all expect to die by faith, shall we? We all expect to die by faith. We have no fear of death, have we? We overcome death. Death is not our enemy, but has become our friend to lead us from the earthly house of this tabernacle into a heavenly home. But then we must also say this, otherwise we can never say it, beloved. We have not yet received the promises. We didn't. But we have seen them afar off. We did. And we we saw them much nearer than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob ever did. We saw them now by faith in Christ. But they, we have not re received the promises and embraced them and pers were persuaded of them. That's necessary. Otherwise, we can never say that we die by faith. We must say that we believe the promises, beloved, that, that we embrace the promises, that we were persuaded of the promises. And then we must say, and that is the confession to what I was to call your attention. We are strangers and pilgrims in the earth. Strangers and pilgrims in the earth. And that, beloved, is the pilgrim's confession to which I wish to call your attention now. In the first place, as to its contents, they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. In the second place, as to its manner, they confessed it and 
as is evident from the text and the context, they confessed it by word of mouth and in their actual life. And finally to the ground at that pilgrim's confession, which is the promises which they saw afar off, which we see much more clearly, but which they and we have not yet finally received. The pilgrim's confession, its content, its manner, and its ground. Strange, beloved, this confession. We would think it's hardly possible to make this confession, to say here tonight that we are strangers and pilgrims in the earth, mind you, in the earth. Do not overlook that. The text does not say that would be more acceptable, it seems, more easy to confess. The text does not say we are strangers and pilgrims in the world. That stands to reason. Of course, that's easy. Everything uh, that is in the world, and even everything uh, that belongs to our own sinful flesh, makes us strangers, principally, as children of God. We Hate sin, principally, and because we hate sin, we hate our own sinful nature. We do. We fight sin, and fighting sin, we fight ourselves. fight our own sinful nature. And that is not so difficult to understand. Besides, uh, we do not agree with the world. Not with the world in its sinful, evil sense. The world that is filled with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. We cannot speak the language of the world. We cannot walk in the ways of the world. We cannot love the habits of the world as far as the world is concerned, the world, 
the evil world, the world as it is principally a kingdom of the devil, it's not difficult to say that we are strangers and that we are pilgrims in the world. But, beloved, that is not the text. And now it becomes much more difficult. We confess that we are strangers and pilgrims in the earth about it. Is that possible? Is that really possible? Are we not worthy? Are we not of the earth worthy? Do we not in this present earth speak with an earthy language? Do we not think earthy thoughts? Do we not desire earthly things? Do we not have need of the earth? Do we not know most intimately in all kinds of earthly relationships, relationships that are such Surely are not sinful. Uh, may we not be citizens of the U.S.? Uh, may we not love to be in the relationship of our family? of our wife and husband, the relationship of parents and children, and even of grandparents and grandchildren. Can we say, as our fathers confessed, we are strangers and pilgrims not in the world, but in the earth. You know, I thought of that this week when I had this verse in mind and was in my automobile and traveled along the dune road and what followed and what preceded. And I thought, how in the world is it possible 
that a man could possibly be a stranger, a simply a stranger, a pilgrim, in the midst of all this springing beauty. Green of every color, of every shade, blossoms of every kind, tulips of flowers, May we say, can we say, is it really possible to say we are strangers, not in the world, but in the earth, in the earth? Is it possible to say, beloved, in the midst of all that is earthy, simply earthy, that we long to go hence and be no more, that we long to leave the earthly house of this tabernacle, and have our eyes closed forever on the earthly scene, is that possible? Besides, do we not have earthly needs? Do we not need earthly bread and earthly drink, earthly food? And all that pains to us? No wonder, beloved, no wonder. I'm the same age. I'm not any different from you. You must understand this text before you say this. Before you say, I am a stranger and pilgrim on the earth, you must understand what you're talking about. And in the same way, it's not so, beloved, it's not so that I'm always ready to leave the earth. Uh, that I'm always ready to die, let me say, and to go home. That's not so. That's not true for you and for me. That's true for nobody. What's it mean? Let me say this first of all. What's it mean that we are strangers and pilgrims? The terms he used are really essentially the same in meaning. There's not much difference between the terms strangers and pilgrims. Both mean we're not at home. We don't feel at home, and we are not at home where we are. That's the meaning of both terms, strangers and pilgrims. Only uh, they look at that same concept from a slightly different viewpoint. A stranger is translated by the Dutch gast, guest. 
So that, according to the Dutch translation, the text means, we are guests in the earth. Uh, but beloved, I think uh, that translation is a little too favorable. It does not really express the real meaning. After all, a guest is someone whom we try to make him feel at home as much as possible. And may we make it as comfortable, comfortable as we can for him. That's really a guest. We honor a guest. And we give him a place of honor in our home. And accordingly, we treat him in such a way that a stay with us is as pleasant as possible. That's not the meaning. I rather think, beloved, that we must have uh, the root meaning of the word. And the root meaning of the word in the Greek then is uh, that things are amazing are so strange uh, that we do not fit in with them. Uh, that is the meaning here. Uh, we are so strange and strange in the earth uh, that we really do not fit in the earth anymore. In the earth, we do not speak the language of the earth anymore. We do not hear the language of the earth anymore. We cannot understand the language of the earth anymore. We're strangers. It amazes us. That's the idea of the original. We're so strange that we cannot walk in the midst of the earth anymore. Our life, our life does not fit in this earth anymore. That's really the idea. And of course, pilgrims is the same concept from a slightly different point of view. A pilgrim is someone that comes from a strange country from another country into uh, this strange country. And not only that, uh, but uh, being from another country and having uh, no relationship with the citizens of the country where he is a pilgrim, he passes through. He lives in with them as a stranger for a while. But he really intends to pass through the country to go back to the country whence he came. That's a stranger. That's a pilgrim. 
In other words, beloved, applying it to us as people of God, we say uh, we are strangers in the earth because as people of God, we really come from another country. We come from a different country. And now, temporarily, although we are born in a different country, temporarily we live in this earthly country, but our ideas, as soon as possible, to pass through this earthly country and go back to the country we came from. That country is the heavenly country. Of course. We came from a heavenly country, beloved. Oh, yes, we came from a heavenly country. And because we came from a heavenly country, therefore, we are strangers in the earth, principally. And therefore we say, oh, I can stay here a while. I can even be citizen of the United States if necessary. I can do that. I can even vote sometimes, not always, but sometimes. I can even speak English. I can understand English. I can live in the midst of my family. I can love them with an earthly love. And I can love them especially when with me they seek their heavenly country. Then I can love them also spiritually. Otherwise it becomes rather difficult. I can even in a certain sense conform myself to the habits of the U.S., and of my home, and of my earthly life. But nevertheless, principally I say, I do not belong here. Why? How is that possible? The deepest part of the day, election. Election. That's the deepest part. God has chosen us in Christ. And because he has chosen us in Christ, by his election, he calls us to look forward to the Realization of the promise. Election. God has chosen us uh, to enter into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Into the eternal tabernacle of God with, with men into the everlasting blessed covenant fellowship with our God. That's the end of election. 
and that election is the deepest cause of our being strangers, even in the earth, not only in the world, but even in the earth. But there's more below. Why are we strangers in the earth? Subjectively, because of regeneration and the calling of God. God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and he made him a stranger in the earth because in the land of Canaan he did not give him a foot of ground not one foot. In the land of Canaan, in the land, in the earthly land of promise, which was only a picture of the land for which Abraham hoped, which was only a picture of the city which had foundation. In the earthly land of Canaan, God gave him no foot of ground, and he dwelt with Isaac and Jacob in tabernacles, in tents, as a stranger, beloved. He called Abraham. So are we called. We regenerated and called through the gospel, out of, oh, out of the world, to be sure, out of the world. But remember, when we are called out of the world, we also called out of the earth physically. By the life of regeneration and the calling of God, we have a new life. A new life. And that new life, beloved, is not of the earth, earthy. Not at all. That new life of regeneration doesn't fit here. Doesn't belong here. That new life of regeneration doesn't speak to earthly language. Cannot speak it. it doesn't hear the earthly language. Oh, we're glad. We're very glad that the heavenly language is revealed unto us here in earthly form, that's the Bible. The Bible is a wonderful book, beloved. The Bible is heavenly realities, heavenly language, heavenly speech, speech of God, speech of Christ, in earthly form, so that we can at least have spiritual contact through that earthly language, with the spiritual language of God. That's the Bible. That's good. But otherwise, that life, that life of regeneration, that's ours, that life through the calling of God is not natural, but spiritual. It's not earthy, but heavenly. It's not mortal, 
but immoral. And therefore, because of that, because of that life of regeneration, which is rooted in God's gracious election, we say, nevertheless, don't we? Principally, you and I, let's say it, beloved, we say, nevertheless, principally, we are strangers and pilgrims in the earth. We do not set our hearts on the things of the earth. We set our hearts on things above. But Christ now is at the right hand of God. We seek the things that are above, not the things on the earth. We long for the things above, not for the things above. We long for the time when the tabernacle of God shall be with men. We can die. We can die according to the standard of faith. Shall we say that, beloved? Shall we say that now? All of us? We die. All these, including us, including us, all these died according to the standard of faith, which is an evidence of conviction of things hoped for and as assurance of things not seen, looking upon the promises. That's the text. More. We confess that the text says. We confess that. They did. They all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. Also that word confession, beloved. In the Greek, as well as in the English, which is almost a literal uh, rendering of the Greek, that is, through the Latin, the Greek, through the Latin, came into the English confession. It means literally the same thing. It means to say something with someone else. That's confession. If we confess, we say something with someone else. That's the literal meaning of confession. And beloved, that means in the first place, that we say the same thing as God does. That's confessing. We say the same thing as God does here in his word. The second way, we say the same thing as Christ does. 
Christ, the servant of God, the Son of God come in the flesh, who revealed the Father unto us, who taught us, who taught us what to say in our confession. We say the same thing as Christ does when we confess. The third place, beloved, we say the same thing as believers with all the believers that were passed. And we dare say we say the same thing now as all believers that shall be in the future shall say. There's no other confession. There's only one confession. That confession is the truth of Christ Jesus, our Lord. The confession that's contained in the Scripture, in the Word of God. The only confession there is. And then fourthly, that means too, beloved, that the church confesses the same thing as the church in the past and as the church shall confess in the days to come. That's the meaning of confession in general. We must be very careful that we stick to that, beloved. Principally, and we must stand on that principle and remain standing on that principle. We must never depart from it. Principally, the church of all ages has confessed the same thing. And although there is indeed a different uh, color and different degree in that confession, we as a Protestant Reformed Church must insist, very strongly insist, that we must stand on the basis of the age-old confession of the church, of the confession of the church of all ages, and never depart from it. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't depart from it consciously, not one inch, not one hair breadth. We didn't. We did not. Others did. Did. And we insisted that we will stand where we were. That's the confession of the fathers. 1924 changed that confession. Recently, others changed that confession. Did it? We didn't. We said no. Of the church of all ages is the promise of God. 
the Whitbridge are present, they call the recession. That's the crime. That's the confession. All of The promise. The promise of God to his people, to his elect. The promise of God which he applies himself sovereignly through his word and spirit to his elect that are dead in sin and misery and that are quickened by the grace of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the confession of all ages. From the very beginning, that's what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob Read, not having received the promises, that's the confession, that's the contents of the confession, not having received the promises, but were persuaded by them, and embraced them, and therefore, the basis of that confession, of that general confession, of the confession of the sovereign grace of God, applying unto us the promise, unconditional promise, in Jesus Christ our Lord. The Father stood, and on that basis they said, we are strangers and pilgrims in the earth, and beloved if you don't, if you depart from that confession of God's sovereign grace, if you if you insert any of man, anything of man in it, insert anything of man into that confession of God's sovereign grace and God's sovereign promise, you will never confess that you are strangers or pilgrims in the earth. Never do. But this is, of course, a very peculiar application of that promise, of that confession. It's not only the general confession of the church. The general confession is contained in the confession which we, say, which we mentioned uh, in uh, the beginning of our service tonight. I believe in God the Father Almighty and so on and so forth. The more particular confession is in our three forms of unity. And the heart of the catechism, and another of confession, and of the canons of God there. That's the particular confession uh, growing out of the general confession. And I believe, beloved, you must believe that if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were living today, they would be with us. They would be part of the reform. Plus, they would. They would be. They would subscribe to the three forms of unity, and they would certainly believe in the unconditional promise of God for his elect. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were personally formed in their lives. They were. They didn't know anything about us, but nevertheless they were. And we stand on the same basis of their confession. 
And of course, they suppressed it, beloved. They suppressed it in words and in speech. They said that to the world, and they said uh, said the same thing to one another. We read that in the context. Obey that say such things. Declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country, from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But they wouldn't do that. They couldn't. They couldn't because they didn't belong there anymore. They were called out. And therefore, they say certain things. They say we are strangers and pilgrims in the earth. They say that. Jacob said that before Pharaoh, don't you remember? When he was old and appeared before Pharaoh he said, I'm a stranger, I'm a stranger in the world. I was a stranger all my life. And so do we. Oh yes, we must say that, we must confess that, beloved. We must confess with our mouth before one another in the church. That's good. And before the rest of the churches, but also before the world, that's our calling. We must say, we do not belong here, really, we don't. We, we belong in heaven. We seek the heavenly country. We seek the things above. We must say that. Confess it. That's our confession. But that is no all. We must also do that in, in walk. That's what the uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did too. They confessed in their war. In the very fact that they dwelt in tents and tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob in the land of Canaan, the land of the promise. In the very fact that uh, they didn't even, uh, Abraham didn't even have a son. And yet he looked forward to the uh, coming of the sea in all their life and walk. Uh, they walked as children of God in the land of Canaan. Even in the midst of the heathen world, they, they walked as children of God. And even in their walk, the people could see, beloved, that they didn't belong in the earth, but they could belong to the heavenly country. So must be our walk. Don't you know? We must walk in sanctification of life. We must walk in such a way, beloved, uh, that the people of the world look at us. And that they ask us, uh, why do you live that way? Uh, why are you so strange? Uh, why don't you play with us? Why don't you do business with us as we do business in the world? Why don't you go to school with us? Why don't you send your children to our school? Why do you talk that way? Why do you say 
that your strangers are pilgrims of the earth. Why do you fight against sin and the world? Why don't you light the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life? The world must ask that. It must ask that beloved. And so you, they must ask you of the hope that is in you. The hope. That's what the Apostle Peter says. You must so walk that the world asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. You must answer. The reason why I so walk is that I'm a stranger in the earth and that I look for the heavenly country and the heavenly city whose builder and maker is God. So you must walk in the midst of the world. And then, of course, that's impossible unless you do the same thing as the Father did, embrace the promise, and be persuaded the promise at no more time, besides it is necessary. The, the text here speaks of promises in the plural. Often the Bible speaks of promise in the singular, which is the same thing. There's no difference between promise and promises principally. Always when the Bible speaks of the promise, it means the same thing. And always when the Bible speaks of the promises, it means the same thing. Like the one beam of light it dissolved into different rays in the colors of the rainbow. So the one central promise of God in Christ is revealed, beloved, through the scriptures into many, many blessings. This is Christ. Christ in all his fullness. It was for the promise of Christ that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob looked. And it was that promise they saw afar off in the great vision. They saw it when Abraham was a hundred years old and Isaac was born. They saw the promise in that child. They saw Christ in that child. Isaac saw the promise when Jacob and Esau were born. Re Rebecca saw it more clearly than Isaac at the time. And so the promise continued. The seed continued. The seed was almost gone sometime, but the seed was always preserved. Christ! Christ is the promise. And Christ is the hope of the promise for the people of God. Christ and all his fullness. Objectively and subjectively. Christ who appeared in the years one to thirty-three, born of a virgin, the Son of God, and the likeness of sinful flesh, teaching us in the revelation of the Father, dying on the accursed tree, rising from the dead, ascending up to heaven, sitting at the right hand, and receiving the promise of the Holy Ghost. That is Christ. That's the gospel. And 
the various colors of the rainbow, beloved, are, are all the blessings of Christ. The blessings of regeneration. The blessings of the call. The blessings of the forgiveness of sin. The blessings of the righteousness in Christ Jesus our Lord. The blessings of sanctification. The blessing of preservation. The blessing, the blessing finally of entering into the tabernacle of God with men. In the final resurrection. That's the promise. And that promise the church embraced from the very beginning. They were, they were persuaded by the promise. That beautiful love. They were persuaded by the promise. They were persuaded by the gospel. The gospel persuaded them. That is, God through Christ persuaded them by the gospel. And if you are persuaded by the promise, beloved, it is because God applied that promise of the gospel unto your heart. And then you say, I am persuaded. I'm convinced. Although I do not see. I do not see the promises yet. I do not see the realization of it. Yet I'm sure that that realization will come on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you say that, beloved, then you believe. And believing you say, you cannot help to say, I'm a stranger and pilgrim on the earth. Shall we say that long? By faith, let me start from the beginning. By faith, according to the standard of faith, they all die. Shall we say that to you? According to the standard of faith, I hope to die and shall not fear because in Christ Jesus, my Lord, death has become my friend to open the door for the realization of the promise. Shall we say that? We all hope to die by faith. Why? Because we embrace the promise. That's the ground. The promise of Christ Jesus. And then, because we embrace the promise, we confess in the midst of the earth to everybody that will hear, we are strangers and pilgrims. Lord, we thank thee for thy word, of which we might say a few things, the riches of which we can never fathom, but we pray that thou sanctify it unto our hearts, even as we might proclaim it tonight, and grant that our life and our confession may be that of the pilgrim the midst of the earth. For Jesus' sake, amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit abide with you. Amen.